have the ability to influence and shape the lives of people with the things we say, how we act, and the choices we make with it. of the world. Literally everybody. And everyone. I mean, there are eight alien species on Earth right now. And if they take this back to their home planet, hi to them too. You know yes. what I'm saying? You know, everyone raided Area 51. <laughs> well, was that last week? Yeah. When was that done? Apparently 150 people showed up. That's insane. 150 people didn't know that was a dead meme. You know? <laughs> it is... W- 8.16 a.m. It's Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. The podcast is coming out today. It's We're two days into Libra season, and we're already feeling peaceful and centered. How are yes. you? Are I'm, you? I'm feeling great. I will say that Libra season was less on my radar, but I'm very aware that October mm. starts mm. way soon. Well, is it because it's October or is it because it's Libra season? I think it's the perfect combination. I think you're right because for me, October finally gives me permission Mm. to like go full spooky season. Oh, where like I hold back a little bit in September because it's warm. There's like not enough leaves on the ground for me to feel like I'm allowed to Mm. express that side. But as soon as October hits, Pumpkins. Yeah, buy a fucking $3 pumpkin. Fake cobwebs. Tea. All of the above. Yeah. I'm like, I wear my eyeliner, my winged eyeliner every day of my life. And I'm going to extend it. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be bigger wings. Bigger wings? Bigger wings for October. Oh my God. Some Elvira shit. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, And I'm a Libra. You are. A I'm just gonna put it out there. My birthday's next Wednesday, so <laughs> there's oh no gosh, OG yeah. influencers podcast. But I oh, and I'm starting my job on my birthday. I got a job, everybody. Hey Haley, tell the people where you'll be working. I'm not gonna say because I don't oh, really? want them to find out about this podcast. <laughs> they will be like this woman is not at all professional and she's very vulgar oh okay so you won't but name drop can we at least name drop say, the relation yes to the last podcast where we oh, talked yeah. about how much we loved cows yes and it is related to cows hell yeah brother yeah bitch <laughs> i did it i'm not unemployed anymore i'm moving back to madison it's about an hour from milwaukee this weekend Hell yes. We're going to do some fucking adult shit from here on out, boys. Mm. I'm going to work till I die. (laughs) It's nine to five, though, right? You get your. Yeah. Okay. Dolly Parton. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Hell yeah. You get your evenings off. I'm I'm on second shift right now. Well, actually, I'm going to do eight to four. And I get summer Fridays. You get summer Fridays? Yeah. So on Fridays in the summer, you get off at noon. Amazing. Yeah, but I'm missing out because I'm starting in October. (laughs) 
next year. I have something to look forward to. That sounds so great. Honestly, I th- I feel like eight to four is so much better than nine to five. Yeah, I was just planning like I'm gonna get up at six a.m. Have some like granola and yogurt, like mm. leisurely curl my hair. I love it. <laughs> like that's just my plan right now. <laughs> I love it. Maybe do some sunrise salutation. Like mm. we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. I'm so happy for you. That's great. Um, can't wait to visit you in your new yes. apartment in Madison. Cece and Graham, both of you need to come. Let's do it. It's so fun. So fun. By the way, I'm Haley. I'm Cece. <laughs> this is our podcast. This is OG Influencers. This is. And this is the ninth episode. Yeah. <laughs> I thought last episode was the ninth episode. So if you are keeping track of that and are like, hmm, that's my bad. That's okay. It gets better every time. We'll yeah. we'll do better. You know what I'm saying? We'll keep track. Like no promises, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll get a little better every yeah. single time. Um, this is OG influencers. We're exploring your favorite artists, favorite artists, favorite artists. Yep. Three stages of influence back, all the way to your OG, to the OG. Yeah. My OG is pretty OG. Yeah, I'm talking about some like big names here today. Yeah. Some like legends. I don't know. I know you'll probably know who I talk about today. Um, I don't think it's like super duper common knowledge though. Ooh, I'm intrigued. I know almost nothing. So I'll know (laughs) you know this because I could have done someone you've done before as like the third and final like original influence um mm. but of course I had to be like Haley already did this so I had to like pick someone who was a contemporary to them but also she's another OG okay sick like so like you'll I know. like that I'm getting a hint but I honestly have no idea what you're saying it's great you'll know that's when a it, good thing when it happens yeah but you start this week yes so. I'm going first um I have to ask you do you have an Australian accent on the back burner. Oh my god. My first person's an Aussie too. Fuck. Okay, hold up. Is it male uh, or female? Female. Okay. Well mine's a male. Okay, cool. Oh god, I hope it's Steve Irwin. It is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're talking about Oh my Graham literally was <laughs> I'm so excited. I love Steve Irwin. <laughs> we okay, good, because you yeah, I fuck like yes. I wrote my first bullet is God. God. And then my second bullet is animal God. So Okay, hold up. I have legend. a I wanna I wanna boy up all the land and use it for conservation. Yes, that was That's good my Steve Irwin impression. Perfect. Also, like, you know, crikey. Crikey. That's a big croc. Legend. Legend. Oh my god. I love, Steve, love Irwin. Steve Irwin. Short anecdote. There okay. is a Oh God. There's a video. It's a Steve Irwin tribute, um, oh, and it's like his it. wife talking about how she's mm. lost her best friend, yeah, I've seen and that. like her so everything, and it's got like her kids and all this other stuff. And I sob, like mm. I ugly sob every time I see it because this. Oh my gosh! Please tell the people more about Steve Irwin yeah. because, like, oh God, I want to know everything. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's a tall order. <laughs> How did he start? Well, Steve, oh my god. I'm doing him 
for the same reason, like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That was on my YouTube recommended. Like I've been watching all these Steve Irwin documentaries on my YouTube. So that's how I was like, wow, I really got to talk about this guy. We love him. Yes. It was kind of like nostalgic. Like, whoa, can't believe I don't think about him every single day of my life. I know. So we're talking about Steve Irwin, a.k.a. The Crocodile Hunter, which was the name of his first TV show. So he was born February 22nd, 1962, outside of Melbourne, Australia. I think that means he's a Pisces. When was it? It was February? February 22nd. Let's check. I'm pretty sure that he's a Pisces. But he, like, if he is, he's not a normal Pisces. Totally Pisces. Like, whatever. Anyway. Personality is defined by your intuition, selflessness, and imagination. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's totally him. Whenever I think of a Pisces, I think, oh, they hold in all their emotions until they explode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed pretty open about it. Okay. So he was born outside of Melbourne to his parents. His dad was a wildlife expert and his mom was a wildlife rehabilitator. Oh, my gosh. So it is so generational. Yeah. Because his kids do that. He did yes. that. His parents. Oh, my God. So his parents found in Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park, which Steve later named um, Australia Zoo. Oh, my God. So, so his parents founded started- what he like made legendary. Oh, my gosh. So he grew up around reptiles and crocs. Uh, on his sixth birthday, he was given a 12-foot python. <laughs> oh, my God. Just like, here you go. Yeah, like, and it's so funny because that's like kind of how he was with his kids, too. Like, so he be- he began handling crocodiles at the age of nine, and his father had educated him on reptiles from an early age as well. Um, For his birthday one year, he got to like tackle a reptile uh, or a crocodile with his dad's supervision. (laughs) And that was the same thing that they do for Robert Irwin, like at the zoo. Like they let him. That's like a congratulations. Like happy birthday. Oh, my God. It kind of makes sense, though, because they're like famous people. It's like, what do you get? Someone who has everything. True. It's like this year you get to tackle a bigger crocodile. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Irwin took over the management of the park in 1991 and named it Australia Zoo in 1998. Amazing. He met Terry. I love Terry. When she was on a trip. So she's from Oregon. She was on a trip to Australia. She's at Australia Zoo. He's doing a presentation in the crock pit. And she said it was love at first sight. Quote, I thought there was no one like this in the world. He sounded like an environmental Tarzan, a larger than life superhero guy. I did not know she was American. Yes. Yeah, she's from Oregon. Oh, my god! And uh, Steve thought the same about her. Seriously? Uh, yes. I In one of the documentaries, he was like, oh. while he was literally doing a show, he was distracted by her in the crowd. And he was like, who is that fucking hot piece of ass? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Except for he was really, like. Cool. Cool. Oh, you yeah. You probably didn't call her a hot piece of ass, Haley. I mean, <laughs> he said something like she was so beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Maybe in Australia, though. Don't they, like, throw the see you next Tuesday word around like it's dude? Uh, they do in Ireland. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think Steve Irwin has ever said that word. Yeah. I can't imagine. I, I think it might shatter something. Yeah. But to, if he did say that, 
Like yeah. my my whole world view. But we can say it. Yeah. <laughs> but not the environmental Tarzan. No. So <laughs> they were engaged for four months and they were married and spent their honeymoon trapping crocodiles together. <laughs> Man, there's someone out there for everyone. Seriously. Can I tell you, that would so be the opposite of how I would want my life to be. Trapping yeah. crocs. Can you? I literally can't even kill a fly. Like, not a fly. I can kill a fucking fly. Fuck them. <laughs> but <laughs> I hate box elder bugs. Yeah. And it is fall. It's box elder season. Mm-hmm. I literally, like, if I see one, I want it. My stomach hurts. Like, I get so scared. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> I just don't like reptiles. Reptiles? Really? No, I don't like snakes. <gasps> you know Spiders what? are fine with me. Bugs are fine with me. Not you know a fan. What was what the scariest? One of the scariest moments of my life. What? It was a couple summers ago. I get home and I'm walking up the sidewalk to my parents' like front door, and there's fucking salamanders everywhere. I love like the salamanders. Last seen in holes. Like where there's like those lizards. The yellow spotted lizards. It was literally salamanders everywhere. And I started crying immediately. It was like nighttime. And I had never seen a salamander in my life. Were they like the little black ones with speckles? Yes, but they seemed big to me. They were probably about six inches long. Yeah. But they were like, there were like 30 of them yeah. on the porch and the sidewalk. And then I ran away and I'm pretty sure I stepped on one of them. And that oh, made me actually cry yeah. for reals. Because I was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so we That's just some us, trauma. Neither of us would have been a good Terry. <laughs> no, we are not Terry. <laughs> My honeymoon is going to be like in Paris, in fucking Hawaii, like sipping on some fucking coconut. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not the same. So <laughs> their honeymoon, they trapped crocodiles and they filmed this. And this was the first episode of Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. Cute. Cool. So they had two kids, Bindi and Robert. And I watch Robert on Jimmy Fallon all the time. He's hilarious and he's just like Steve. I used to watch Bindi the Jungle Girl on Discovery. Is that what that Mm -hmm. was on? Yeah. When I was at my grandma's house with that sweet, sweet cable. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought she was so fun. Yeah. I, I mean, and you know what's funny? Not funny, but interesting. Bindi met her current fiance at Australia Zoo as well. When she was leading a tour, he was in the tour and he was like, I love this girl. This family does like everything the same way that the previous generation did. They're such good people that they Mm -hmm. deserve this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there is like so much sadness in their life Mm -hmm. from losing their father. But I'm I hope that they feel so fulfilled with everything yeah. they do. I, it seems like they do. Bec- if you've ever seen their like interviews, like they just had a new series come out called Crikey, It's the Irwins. Mm-hmm. And when they were promoting it on all the talk shows, they were like, they're very open about how upset they were, obviously, when Steve died. And then also about continuing his legacy and his yeah. conservation efforts is at mm-hmm. the forefront of their like... Um, company or whatever could you imagine being born in Irwin but like wanting to do anything else besides conservation like I don't think you can I don't know I think it's like in their blood they're cold-blooded like a crock (laughs) um (laughs) so they had two kids Bindi and Robert a controversial incident occurred during a public show in 2004 
when Steve, <laughs> I'm picturing this in my mind, carried his one month old son, Robert, in his arms while he was hand feeding a chicken, a chicken carcass to a saltwater crocodile. Could you imagine throwing the wrong thing at? <laughs> he was never going to do that. Come I know. On. I know. I remember seeing that footage, though. And yeah. everyone, I think I even remember my parents being like, yeah, we like Steve Irwin, but we question his judge. Like, I oh, remember yeah. my parents commenting on that. I have an uncle, Uncle Chuck. Uncle who Chuck. reminds me a lot of Steve Irwin. Mm-hmm. And there is no way that he would ever do it in a harmful way. It's mm-hmm. like. I don't know how to explain it, but okay. The incident was <laughs> compared to like Michael Jackson dangling his son outside the hotel window. Yes. I was going to say, isn't there someone else who like did that to a kid off a balcony? Yes. Like, woo, baby. That was a lot worse <laughs> to me, to be honest. Like, li- whatever. Maybe just because I love Steve Irwin and Michael Jackson is a piece of fucking shit. We yeah. hate Michael Jackson. I, and I'm not sorry about it. I, I didn't watch it because it's triggering and scary. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't think I could say triggering, but it's it. I just wouldn't. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. But Steve Irwin's a good person. One time he saved a scuba diver, like from like they were. Or? I didn't write the whole story down, but they were like, "Oh wait, yes, I did." <laughs> they were filming a documentary on sea lions off the coast of California. Oh, excuse me, Baja, California in Mexico, when he heard on his boat's radio that two scuba divers were reported missing. So they halted all um, operations and they went and searched for the divers. Um, He used his own vessel to patrol the waters um, as well as their satellite communication systems. And they called in a rescue plane. Um, And on the second day, they found the one of the divers, Scott Jones, on a narrow rock, and Irwin and one of his crew members escorted him to his boat, Irwin's boat. Um, and apparently, the guy, the scuba diver, had no idea who Irwin was. Like he didn't recognize him at all. But, like, come on! Like, oh my gosh. what a legend! Getting saved by the Steve Irwin. I know. So, what happened to the other diver? Um, Did they died. not make it? Oh, they found so her sad. like shortly after, and she was it. But that one guy made it. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And who knows it, what would have happened if Steve hadn't went out. So he looked searched. for two days for them? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. So, obviously, like, Irwin's whole life was about conservation and animals. Conserving um, animals and people. Yeah. <laughs> and only scuba divers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he discovered a new species of turtle in 1997 when he was on a fishing trip with his dad. Did he get to name it? Yeah, he named it the Irwin's turtle after his family. Oh, my God. There's an Irwin's turtle? Got to look it up. Yeah. Can you describe it? It's shell. It probably looks like literally every other oh, turtle. Oh, wait. It's it's really like pale looking. Ew. Okay. I guess I'll look it up too. Irwin. Yeah. This thing is kind of, it's kind of, it looks. Ew. It's got like really <laughs> pale skin coloring. It's like a and white shape. turtle. It's like turd. Its shell is a little bit more ovular, and it's kind of got. Look at oh my god! Look <gasps> at this one, one with the mohawk. I, yes, I'm seeing that too. It looks like it kind of has weird textures on its head that make it suitable for like plants to like kind of a <laughs> like blob a chia on. pet. Yes, like a chia pet, like growing like just lots of like weird 
stuff growing. And it kind of has head. a pig snout, which is very cute. It totally has a pig snout, and it's got big, like, blue eyes. And Imagine knowing so much about animals that you can recognize when one isn't discovered. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I would look at this turtle, and I would think it was, like, a snapping a turtle, I think. Turtle. Yeah. It doesn't have the beak of a snapping turtle, but its head kind of is shaped like it. Who knows if that's oh, how it works. here's a picture of Steve, Her- Steve Irwin holding Aww. the Irwin turtle. Wow, he's, he's like so, so animated. Cool. Okay, we okay. We just obviously we stand Steve Irwin like so hard. I'm so glad you did Steve Irwin. <laughs> My mom was happy about it too. I told her she's like that's such a good one. Like she doesn't listen because she doesn't know who we're talking about. When I think of Australia, like as soon as you said Australia, you knew. Well, because when I think of Australian celebrity, like sure you could do like. Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, like mm-hmm. any people, but like I always think of Steve Irwin first. Me too. And these people I follow or watch on YouTube, Riley Whitman and Elena. I don't know what Elena's last name is, but they sail on this catamaran all over the world. Ooh. It's called Sailing La Vagabond. So check them out. Mm-hmm. Shout out, but they're not, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, in 2001, Irwin was awarded the centenary. Irwin <laughs> mm. uh, was awarded a medal <laughs> by the Australian government for his service to global conservation and to Australian tourism. And in 2004, he was the tourism expert of the year. So good for him. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the biggest celebrity out of Australia. So they were like, we love you. We use, please like promote our country. I mean, continent. Oh, both. Yeah, both. <laughs> Our big island. The biggest island. <laughs> Can you call it an island? No. <laughs> um, on, in 2017, it was announced that Irwin would be honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it was unveiled in 2018. So his family Aww. was there. Um, so above anything, he was passionate about conservation. He believed in promoting environmentalism by sharing his excitement about the natural world world rather than preaching mm-hmm. which i think is more effective <laughs> totally because if people care that's it, the whole point it's yeah. getting people to care many times and i'm working on this myself but many times when you start preaching at people or like just sharing straight facts it feels like an argument and people don't want to listen mm-hmm. or people will try to argue back so yeah i think that being getting people to care Mm-hmm. is the most important part first I'm, step in conservation and I wonder any what, sort of persuasion. I wonder what he would have to say about Greta Thunberg. Oh, my God. You know he would love her. We I all know. love her. Like, that Fox correspondent. Can you... Are you kidding me? Like, Wait, I don't know about this. A Fox correspondent called her a mentally ill um, Swedish child. That's pretty messed up. Yeah, and Fox apologized, which is big. Does Fox ever ever <laughs> have do they that? ever done that? No, <laughs> and they said they'll never hire him again. So we love Greta. I watched that one where she talked about how like empty words and like stealing her childhood and stuff, and I was like, mm. damn. I obviously, obviously, we need to save the world and climate change and everything. Mm-hmm. But I've seen a lot of very scary videos 
um, of ki- children who really think the world is going to like implode in 12 years and they start crying at like rallies and stuff and they're like, I don't want to die. And I'm like, it's a little scary the, um, with the urgency aspect that people use. Mm-hmm. Like I take a lot of, I took a lot, I took like an art in the Anthropocene class and a lot of climate change classes. And it's a tactic, obviously, that scientists use to promote urgency because that is what we need to do. We need to start saving the world right now. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to die. The world isn't going to explode. And I appreciate what Greta is doing because she mm-hmm. is being urgent but not trying to scare people. She's attacking the correct people, yeah. <laughs> the dudes who are in power. And she's saying, listen, this is like the future is not bright. Yeah, Things will start happening and we need to change it right now. Mm-hmm. Things are happening and yeah. they just aren't affecting you I yet, know. but they will affect yes, you. They, they are, though. Like, can you remember when we were little and we would go skiing and mm-hmm. it was there was never like maybe they'd have to make snow once during the season. Mm-hmm. And in the past couple of years, it's all they had to make the snow like in December, you know? Yeah. And of course, maybe that's not a pattern maybe it's random Mm -hmm. but that is kind of what climate change does it makes things more extreme i do feel like i mean i don't know my life hasn't really been long enough but i like 22 yeah but i feel i mean i feel that way that like maybe it's i don't know i feel like if anything it seems like maybe seasons are just happening later than that's true too. which might just be like because which is bad for farming yeah bad for food production yeah. So we're all going to fucking die. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, Erwin died on September 4th, 2006. Um, he was on a trip to um, film and there was kind of like some bad weather. So they had to stop. And he thought, well, I could still go diving for a segment for Bindi's show. So he went under and they were kind of trying to get a stingray to swim away for a shot. Um, And he ended up a little bit cornering it. And um, the stingray stabbed him in the heart. He died. It was the only attack by a stingray that was ever recorded on video. And the video was seen out of necessity by like the officers who had to declare it. Um, but then it was destroyed. Good. For his family. Good. I heard that, um, like whoever he was diving with, like someone held him while he was dying. Yeah. And he said, I forgot what his last words were, but like the whole, like every detail of his last moments was like shared to the press and the media and the family was like. What are you doing, like, sharing that information? Like, that's yeah. just not need to know. You don't need, like, you know, just, like, sad stuff where he's like, I think I'm dying, like, or... He said, well, yeah, he said, I'm dying. Yeah. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the cameraman. Yeah. Who urged his him to think of his kids. Yeah. 
That's oh. and when you think about it, like what a freak accident. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. do people are there any statistics on like deaths by stingrays? Because like yeah. if you think about it, there's probably like so much of your body, other parts of your body where you could be hit by that and it would yeah, it, be non lethal. Yeah. You know? Apparently someone thought it was like it could have been a lung and then he probably would have survived, but it went into his heart so he bled to death. Oh my god. Um which is very fucking sad. Mm-hmm. Um so, RIP. We love you, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when presenting a Lifetime Achievement Award to a man after Irwin's death, Terry said, quote, if there's one person who directly inspired my husband, it's the person being honored tonight. Steve's real true love was conservation and the influence of tonight's recipient in preserving the natural world has been immense. And that man is... Sir David Attenborough. I freaking knew it. You did. Like, is it this man's who man's. always narrates every nature documentary ever? Yes, it is. And I'm sure he does more, but like that's all I know him. About. That's all I really read about. How has he been? So he has the title of Sir. Yes. Apparently he was knighted. I don't have any information. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we know it must have been the queen. So he knows mm-hmm. her personally. Mm-hmm. And you know what? <laughs> the queen is very old. Yes. Um, I'm going to do a segment on the royal family very soon. But Beyond Princess Di? Oh, yeah. That you did last time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the queen. And I guess I can't get in trouble. Well, actually, no one can get in trouble for talking shit about the queen. I just think it's frowned upon in England. Yes. but And I'm not even talking shit. But when she dies, there's like a huge royal protocol. Like I read about it. Mm-hmm. Where, and that's why people like people always so protest at like royal events, like weddings and stuff like that. There shouldn't be any royals because of oh. the economic impact they have like when the like it will cost the UK like millions of dollars when the queen dies because they're sh- they like shut down so many things yeah. they like like there are people who are active like the BBC is accumulating footage of the queen in anticipation of her death because for She's like so old. I know it's kind of messed up, but they like are accumulating all this stuff because that's all they will air mm-hmm. for like for days. For days. No, and 24/7. all the comedy on TV and the radio gets shut down. Yeah. And it's people are like, and like regular citizens are like, this monarchy is dead. Like, this needs to not. I disagree purely for celebrity reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I Which think is it costs, fair. it costs like three pounds a year. Or not, not even three pounds a year for um, each British citizen or something. Ah, fuck, I'm gonna look it up because I want to know how much <laughs> do the royals cost? How much do the royals cost? Uh oh. <laughs> the first thing that popped up was the British royal family's costs are skyrocketing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, that's it's sixty five pence per year per taxpayer. So that's less than a pound. And I honestly, I will donate. <laughs> I will cover the shares of how many uh, British citizens could I afford to pay their yeah. royal tax. I will pay for Kate Milton. <laughs> I alone. And Charlotte. 
<laughs> so yeah, he's a Sir, Sir David Attenborough. And I'm saying that right, correct? I think so, yeah. Because I think I said Edinburgh and it's Edinburgh, but it's spelled like Edinburgh. Like I the guy who's married then. to the queen. Yeah. I don't know. You, you just know call what? you just call him Sir David. Everyone Yeah, knows. this is Sir David Attenborough. We'll just get Sir. <laughs> sir. So He's an English broadcaster and natural historian of the BBC Natural History Unit. He is the only person to have won BAFTAs for programs in black and white, color, HD, 3D, and 4K. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I had an indented bullet that just says old. Old. (laughs) A man of all formats. (laughs) Yeah, he's old. Um, He's widely considered a national treasure in the UK, although he himself does not like the term. Being called a national treasure. <laughs> Humble king. <laughs> like, go off. I wish that random people I didn't know would call me a national I treasure. Know. Like, come on, dude. Milk that shit. I mean, we don't deserve that. We haven't done anything for that yet. We've done nothing. Period. <laughs> period. <laughs> Just this podcast. Yeah, and honestly, this is a detriment to society. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm going to be done. Um... He was born May 8th, 1926 in West London. Um, his father was a principal at University College like Leicester. <laughs> I literally can't speak. It's all good. Um, in a town in the UK. So <laughs> in London. He grew up on this campus. So he was surrounded by um, education. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think. Gotta love all the education. It's now 8.48 a.m. <laughs> and I've been chugging cold brew, and now my mind is wandering. We're recording this by Marquette's campus, so we, yeah. too, are surrounded we, by education. By education. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, he spent his childhood collecting fossils, stones, and natural specimens. Can you imagine just being so old that you can just find a fucking fossil on the ground? <laughs> Like, they weren't already discovered. Oh, my God. He also um, heard that the zoology department needed a large supply of newts, which he offered through his father to supply. Newts, like salamanders. Oh, my gosh. Newt is the name of my parents' dog. Yeah. Shout out Newt. If you're listening, bark, bark. Bark, bark, bitch. (laughs) Um, But wait, so they needed a large supply of them, and he supplied them? He said... I will, I will find them for three D each, which is like a form of currency back then. Yeah. So he went newt hunting. <laughs> yes, and he, the Wikipedia was like, he didn't disclose it, but it was a a small pond very close to the university. <laughs> but he wouldn't disclose the location. Oh my god! So he made it this big deal. I will go and I will find. Yeah. And then so he's an just... entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. Okay. Can I tell you? This is. Somewhat a tangent, somewhat related. I'm Have you ever seen, are they called croc- crocodile hunters? Cro- crocodile people? Are you talking about Steve Irwin? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, what is it called? It's on the History Channel. Um, Swamp people? Swamp people. Oh, fuck yeah. And I it's love alligators. That show. It's gators. Um, yes. I, I used to watch it. that with my parents and we loved it. It was so yes. funny. Um, not Obviously not. Isn't like that the, the one that's like, Elizabeth? Get over here, Elizabeth. <laughs> Probably. There's one where this guy's like, 
ooh, there's a tree shaker. <laughs> like whenever, like, because when they tie the bait to the tree, that's how they know it's a big that one. That is such because the tree shakes. It's pretty sad because they like literally shoot crocodiles. I know, and it's it's one of those hunter hunting things where like people will hunt bears or by like baiting them by like putting Twinkies in a hole and then just sitting you know there what? with their trail cams. Here's an anecdote, mm. and this was an accident. But my dad used to hunt and he went to this place called Bear Island in Canada mm-hmm. and he got dropped off at like 6 a.m. or whatever and he fell asleep and he had like food in his pocket because he was going to eat it. It was a Snickers bar. He was going to eat it and then he woke up to like a growling noise and it was a fucking bear right in front of him trying to get the Snickers bar. Did he hunt it? Then? Yeah, he shot it. Now it's a rug. Oh, man. So. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a bummer. Like I don't know, like Anyways, whatever your people. whatever your views on hunting are, but like yeah, there's like you know, regardless, there's also like you know, hunting that isn't there yes. isn't any sport to it even like to where me, it's like you literally yeah. like just like You're trap some a bear, yeah. But to me, hunting a bear is better than humping hunting humping <laughs> Fuck. bestiality. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hunting a bear is better than hunting a zebra. Yeah. Sorry. There's a hierarchy to me. Yeah. And I know, like, again, conservation, yeah. there's a part of hunting yes. that is definitely mm-hmm. necessary for conservation. But what I was getting <sighs> to by bringing up swamp people okay. is they have an episode where, like, their gator catch was nowhere near as big as they needed it to be. And so these guys <laughs> were like... Damn it, Clint, what are we going to do? And so they grab this like big blue barrel. Like, I don't know what you would use this industrial barrel for. Probably. And they go out in their little swamp dinghy and they go through this water and they start, they hop out. They start grabbing snakes at night and throwing them in this barrel. And this guy's like getting bit by them. And he's every time he gets bit, he's like, Clint. Look at it to, like, make sure it's not a poison. He, like, sucks out the venom. Well, no, apparently, so there are some non-poisonous snakes where you can't get bit by them. So they're collecting them? They're collecting snakes and throwing them in this barrel, and they give them to the university. Oh. Just like Sir David (laughs) with the news. back in the day when people used to do that to corpses. Oh, God. Would they just go dig them up? That's a whole other episode. (laughs) There is a lot. Yeah. I'm going to also talk about murderers someday well yeah a lot of serial killers are inspired by ted bundy specifically yeah and there's like copy there's like that whole thing Mm -hmm. with like copycat killers that are just like i want to be like this person maybe we should do that for our next episode because it's going to be october (gasps) we should both do it yes but how do we make sure we'll have to talk to graham to make sure we don't do the same ones because like or you can do ted bundy i don't really like him Uh, and i I definitely don't don't think he's handsome like everyone else fucking says yeah. Oh, we gotta. Someone has to do Jeffrey Dahmer. We're in Milwaukee. We'll think about it. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um. So yeah. Sorry. Tangent about uh catching and swamp little people. things for universities. Why do <laughs> Why do universities need these? Are they for like testing research. on them? It's so a zoology they, like, department. Them? Uh, what are they doing with them? Maybe they dissect a couple and then like breed I, a couple and then yes. It's just about research. Whatever. I'll just chalk yeah. it up to research. <laughs> Which you could say about anything. <laughs> there is okay, I'm not gonna never mind. <laughs> There's been too many tangents. Um during the Second World War, uh his parents fostered two Jewish refugee girls. So that was nice. Yeah, that is so nice. 
a lot of times, and we said this last episode, it comes down with these old people. What did they do during the World War II? Were mm-hmm. they shitty people or were they normal, moral people? Mm-hmm. And David Attenborough was or... even more than a moral person. <laughs> His family was actually helpful and correct. So... Um, a few years later, one of his adoptive sisters gave him a piece of amber containing prehistoric creatures. And 50 years later, it was the focus of his program, the Amber Time Machine. So, Like I think Jurassic cool. Park? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and 50 years later, they used the blood from the mosquito <laughs> to create a theme park. Okay. <laughs> So he went to college in 1945 where he studied geology and zoology and obtained a degree in natural sciences. So we knew that. That's Mm -hmm. what he was destined for. In 1947, he was called up for national service in the Royal Navy, and he spent two years stationed in North Wales and the Firth of Forth, which is in Scotland. Mm. So he's a war man, apparently. In 1947, so kind of just like cruising. Um, in 1950, he married a woman named Jane, and they had two children together. His son, Robert. Oh, <gasps> interesting. Just, just like, like Steve. Yeah. His son is a senior lecturer in bioanthropology for School of Archaeology and Anthropology at the Australian National University. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, my gosh. Um, His daughter is a headmistress of a primary school. That's nice. Um, And Jane died in 1997, so that's sad. Oh. That's when I was born. Oh. Maybe I'm her reincarnation. there is life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) In 1950, he applied for a job as a radio talk producer with the BBC, and he was rejected. So we know a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Being rejected <laughs> from a job, but not anymore because I got a fucking job, ladies and gents, and everybody else in between, um, and outside, and outside, <laughs> <laughs> literally everybody, and again, all the alien species on Earth. So. <laughs> um, Attenborough, like most Britons, did not own a television at the time, and he had seen only one program in his life. Um, however. He accepted an offer of a three-month training course. And in 1952, he joined the BBC full-time. And little did they know, the BBC had just made the best decision of their life. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Attenborough's association with the natural history program began when he produced and presented a three-part series on animal patterns. <laughs> they featured animals from the London Zoo and he talked with a naturalist and discussed their use of camouflage and courtship displays, which is fun. This guy's just so cool. Yeah, like, I think that, like, vets and zoologists are so smart because a dog can't tell you what's wrong. Yeah. Like, you have to do, you have to be so intuitive. And that was one of the Pisces things was intuition. And I'm like, that. Like, you have to be able to read animals so well. And, like, Steve Irwin mm-hmm. gauging aggression probably with all the, you know, all the, you know. Not in the stingray. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's but good till it's not good. Attenborough is a Taurus. So he's charm- charming and tactful. Oh, that's nice. I believe it. 
Um, he became the controller of the BBC Two in 1965. And before he was there, like nobody was interested in it. Mm-hmm. But he transformed the network to offer an eclectic mix of music, arts, entertainment, archaeology, experimental comedy, travel, drama, sports, business, science, and natural history. Literally what? everything. Anything anyone could ever want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he created the series Life on Earth in 1979 and thereby influencing like anybody else that ever created anything. <laughs> About naturalists and conservation. I wonder if he's ever seen Plazanet Earth with Snoop Dogg. Have you ever seen those? <laughs> yes. I wonder if he's ever seen them. He has to have. Because they're so funny. Those are so funny. And like, it reminds me of like Honey Badger Don't Care. Yeah. <laughs> they're so funny. My favorite one, there's one where a lizard is like trying to avoid yes. getting eaten by yes. snakes. And he's like comparing it to like people running from the cops. And he's like, jump, dude, jump. And like, (laughs) oh my gosh, so funny. So that's what I have on David Attenborough. I know you're a fan. Do you have anything else to add? No, I don't. I really didn't know that much about him. I just know his voice very well. Mm -hmm. You know? So this Life on Earth series was like majorly transformative Mm -hmm. for anything that came after. But. What came before was our OG. And I could have chosen one that was actually and purely and by quote influenced him. But I didn't because I didn't want to talk about that person. I want to talk about Teddy Roosevelt. What? The big stick diplomacy man? Yes. He's a politician and a president. And I wrote almost nothing about him. (laughs) (laughs) People should know. We've, We've all gone through, well... I don't think we have any international listeners, but we've all gone through the American public school system. Oh, Everyone's read mm-hmm. about good old Teddy. TR. Yeah. So Theodore Roosevelt was born on October 27th. Actually, he's Theodore Roosevelt Jr. Ooh. Um, that means he is a Scorpio. <laughs> so he's passionate, ambitious, and has an outwardly calm nature. Has, Isn't... His, I mean, the man I'm picturing right now has, like, the coolest stash. Yes, and okay. tiny glasses, like a hipster. Yeah, he would be so cool now. I know, but he, like, invented cool. Mm-hmm. Um, So he served as the 26th president of the United States from 1901 to 1909. Double term. Of course. He was born a sickly child with debilitating asthma. Oh. <laughs> Just like me. He <laughs> Literally just like me. Haley Hart, born a sickly child. Vote Haley 2020. <laughs> just write Haley, not even the last name. Um, actually, don't. Please don't do <laughs> Please that. fucking don't do that. <laughs> we don't need that right now. Um, not that anyone ever would. Um, he overcame his health problems by embracing a strenuous lifestyle. I have yet to do that. <laughs> what the... Heck is a strenuous lifestyle. Like, is that like I'm gonna burn through the asthma pain and yeah. just like hike, like hike anyway Run. and wheeze the whole time? <laughs> I guess if you're a baby, you can't exercise. <laughs> um, he integrated his exuberant personality, vast range of interests, and world famous achievements into a cowboy persona <laughs> defined by his robust masculinity. Robust. What an interesting quote that I, I copied and pasted. 
Um, he was homeschooled and he began his lifelong naturalist av- uh, attitude. <laughs> but and he attended Harvard. Ooh. So literally just had to be a robust man to attend Harvard. <laughs> um, he served as the assistant secretary of the Navy under President William McKinley, but he resigned to lead the Rough Riders during the Spanish-American War. Um, and he returned a war hero. So, like, he left his, like, posh life in the office to be on the front lines. And everyone was like, Mad that's respect. robust. That's, that's masculine. <laughs> we stand. He's my cowboy. He's Not my, my cowboy. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> he w- and then he was elected the governor of New York. He campaigned. He, him and McKinley won in a landslide victory based on a platform of peace prosperity and conservation so that is exactly what libra season is all about <laughs> peace prosperity and conservation and Hell indulgence yeah. and and indulgence self-care season mm. um so he then he went to the badlands he's a sportsman and a hunter but mm-hmm. he also talked a lot about so he had writings that depicted hunting trips and kills but they're laced with lament for the loss of species and habitat. So he's a conservationist as well. Um, after becoming president, he used his authority to protect wildlife and public lands by creating the United States Forest Service and establishing 150 national forests, a bunch of bird reserves, game preserves. He made five national parks when he was the president and 18 national monuments. So he was like, that's awesome. out here. And that's all I wrote down. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that's it. That's the end of my document. But um, I took a, a literature class about rivers and like, <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Take the weirdest classes in college and then they're like, here's a degree. I took but, a English class about the wilderness. Yes. Did you learn about Teddy? He would no. like literally go off into the wilderness with his buddies for months. And no one would know where he was. And he was literally the president. And people would be like, he could be dead. He could be, he could return he like could Robert have. Baratheon mauled mm-hmm. by a boar. Like he would go away. There would be no communication, which honestly we need that today. <laughs> <laughs> Trump needs to go out in the wilderness for three go months. Go off grid. And then we won't have to impeach him. He'll just die. Oh um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. So he would go away and then he'd come back and they'd be like, that's our president, cowboy, robust man. Welcome back. Pleased to see you made it. Which um. I think is cool. <laughs> also, um, special shout out to John Muir. I really wanted to talk about him, but I couldn't not talk about David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. So John Muir is the conservationist of the United States. Mm-hmm. He was born in northern Wisconsin. He went to UW-Madison and then he dropped out (laughs) because he was like too eclectic. (laughs) And he wrote on behalf of national parks and he spoke for wildlife through his whole life. This guy has the coolest beard. Yeah. These people are the hipster like OGs. They would have the same beard today. I think they'd just be wearing a snapback, a backwards (laughs) snapback. A Patagonia. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Um, I think John Muir was, 
Yeah, he's also known as the father of the national parks, and he was friends with Teddy. Nice. Yeah, they like went out camping together in the fucking forests. I want to go camping with a president. That seems like just like a weird Ooh. dynamic. I just looked up Teddy, or excuse me, John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt, and the first thing that comes up is Muir's three-night camping trip with President Teddy Roosevelt in 1903 could be considered the most significant camping trip in conservation history. Ooh. And he, yeah. Some good pics of them. Special shout-out to John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt. Thank you so much. And we need to preserve our national parks. Yeah. I want to go to one now. There's a a million bajillion. There's Mm -hmm. a bunch in Wisconsin. Um. Don't we only have state parks in Wisconsin? I don't think so. I thought there were only state Maybe ones. I'm thinking of Upper Michigan. Either way. Okay. The Paso <laughs> Islands is a national park, but I okay. think that's... National Lakeshore, Paso Islands, Lake Superior. Oh, the National Scenic Trail on the Ice Age Trail. That's by our fucking house. Yeah, the Ice Age Trail. Okay. And in Madison. Anyway, that those are my people talking about conservation, talking about animals, talking about cold-blooded fucking crocs. Love it. I love it. I'm so glad. I love this I'm one. I'm really glad that you like Steve Irwin. Oh, I'm so excited. He's just, yeah. I'm such a big fan. I think it's funny that my first person's Aussie, too. I want to know who it is. Okay, so the hint. Oh, I I'll I'll tell you first. I'll tell you why I picked them. Okay. Um. So Haley and I were both lamenting last night about how like, <laughs> oh, we gotta write these. Like we we met at <laughs> yeah. you know we met at eight a.m. this morning, and um. I got back from work at like eleven. By the time I'd made food, it was like <gasps> what food? I made ramen. Yum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I classed it up a little bit. I put an egg in it. (gasps) Yum. Protein. Um, But and Haley was messaging me where she was like, I am so tired. Like, I'm going to wake up early and finish this. I did. I woke up at 4.30. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just got off work. I'm going to do it, too. I didn't touch this last night because. Same as me. I'm reading a book. And literally, I was like, I could. Write this, or I could figure out what happens next to my book. And so I read until like 1 a.m. And then I was like, I'll just wake up at 5.30 and finish this. And so I did. Literally us. Yeah. Both of us. Except for, let's be real, I snoozed for half an hour and I woke up at 6. So I did this in an hour. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Yeah, same thing happened to me. And I think I I had like a dream that I was going to be late. So I woke up even earlier and did it. Oh, no. (laughs) Because... I was doing the math wrong in my head. Oh, it happens. <laughs> but I, I knew in my dream, so. <laughs> so, yes. So instead I read and I got to such a good part in my book that literally the second I come home after recording this, I can't wait to go read what's about to happen. Um, we love books. So I decided to do the author of okay. this book because I really don't know anything about her. And really there isn't a lot of information about her, but... She's an Aussie and her book has been turned, this book that I'm reading has been turned into a popular HBO series, limited series starring Nicole Kidman, um, 
Oh, what's her name? Amy Adams? No. Not that's Amy Adams. Not the book. Reese Witherspoon. Yes. Shailene Woodley. And Meryl Streep. Yeah, Meryl Streep's <laughs> in it. Zoe Kravitz is in it. Um, I know this series. I, I, I've never Alexander watched Skarsgård. it. Alexander Skarsgård. Big Little Eyes. Yes. And I, the author okay. is Leanne Moriarty. Yay. Okay. And I don't know her. Yeah. There's there's really not like a ton of information about her. I took some information from her website that she clearly wrote like about herself. <laughs> so there's like some weird details about her like childhood that we normally don't have. Yeah. Like, At 19 years old, I walked home and there were salamanders all over my porch. <laughs> Yes, stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about Leanne Moriarty. She was, so she's an author. She's an Australian yes. author. Uh, okay. And she- Big respect. Can you yeah. imagine writing more than 2,000 words? Oh my God. So many words. And making it like make sense and be entertaining. Oh my gosh. I think her story, I'll get into the book after I talk about her. Have you seen the series? I haven't. I want to okay. read the book first, but then I'm dying to watch it because this book is so good and everyone says the show is good and hopefully I'm not like disappointed where you're like "Uh, the book is better but like I love Nicole Kidman I love Reese Witherspoon I love the whole cast so I'm like I'm pretty sure I'll like it um so Leanne was born on November 15th in 1966 in Sydney Scorpio Scorpio her first word was glug one of those weird details. Okay, that is not a word. That is something glug. a baby says. And then glug, glug, her glug. parents were like, oh my God, her first word. Isn't that like onomatopoeia? It glug. is like, but. Weird. I'm qu- We question you, Leanne. <laughs> she wrote, yeah, she did write that. Write that. <laughs> this was, okay, yeah. So, and she knows this because it was recorded in her baby book. Kept by her mother, and she's the eldest of six children, so she's the only one of those children who got a baby book. They gave up after Mm -hmm. Leanne. Mm -hmm. That is me. I am the ultimate middle child. There is no souvenir of my babyhood. (laughs) None. Can I tell you, um, my mom and I had a conversation about this where I was going through their photos. There are so many Mm -hmm. photos of Kate as a baby, Mm -hmm. and when the second one came around, they're like, yeah, this isn't as momentous as it yeah. was the first time. Yeah. So they didn't feel like taking photos. Same with my sister. <laughs> this bitch. Like, okay, you know what I was thinking last night? We have, like, cameras on our phones every second of the day. There are so many pictures of babies now. If you want to take a photo of your baby in the 90s, you had to, like, get a disposable camera. Mm-hmm. And, like... And you only had, like, 27 exposures. And you so had to, yeah. like... Okay, but film was like a dollar back mm. then to like, um, what is it called? Develop. Yes. Develop. <laughs> and now I literally developed one roll of film and it costs $20 at Walgreens. Dude, CVS, 12 bucks. But okay, yeah, no, still. I did that. No, I $12. Get that. I, did, I just did that too. I found an old disposable camera and all of it was un- super underexposed, I think, because yeah. it was expired film because yeah. I found it and was like, well, I should develop this. Could you tell? Um, so the one that turned out the best had like photos of me. I had to have been like eight or nine at a beach. And my gra- there's like some photos of my grandparents when I like they look pretty good too. And that's a, a cool thing. And I like don't know where we are. So I, I should probably show my parents that so they can tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Leanne, six or five younger siblings. She's the wow. eldest, the sixth. Um, 
She loved, as a child, she loved to read so much that school friends would cruelly hide um, their books when she came to play so that she wouldn't, like, not play with them and read. Ew, that is Which is kind of like, like, come on, girl, girl, just, like, play, you know, mm-hmm. like, whatever. Like, we're literally at a sleepover. Yeah, like, put the book down. Literally, though, if someone invited me to hang out, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I can't. I have to read. I know. Just don't that's how go. I feel don't, about this Don't book. go to your friend's house and then read. Yeah. Just yeah, say, Leanne, I'm busy. young Leanne. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, she can't remember the first story she wrote, but she does remember her first publishing deal, and it was when her father commissioned her to write a novel for him and paid her an advance of one dollar. So it's really cute. Like, wow, so sweet. And here's yeah. some tea. I was literally published in a book when I was in fifth grade. Dude, I remember that. Wasn't it like a collection of like, was it poems? Yeah, I remember that. I, my teacher, Mrs. Eisen, encouraged me to join a contest for young writers. And so I wrote a tiny little poem and then they, it got like third place and then they put it in a book. That's so cool. And I lost the book. (laughs) So you could probably order it still. Do you remember what it's called? <laughs> <I hit the mic. laughs> yeah, maybe. I know what it's called. But suck on that, Leanne. Ooh. Okay, so Leanne. Okay, where did she go to high school? I feel like I wrote that down. Hartford Union. Hartford <laughs> Union. I didn't write it down. Okay, so wherever she went to high school, um, and I don't even I don't even have where she got her bachelor's. Um, sorry, Leanne. She um, was educated, though. She was educated, and she began a career in advertising and marketing. And she eventually cool. left her position as a marketing manager of a legal publishing company to run her own business called the Little Ad Agency. Hmm. And it didn't do super well. So um, <laughs> after that, she worked as a freelance advertising copywriter, writing everything from websites and TV commercials um, to the back of like cereal boxes Ooh, that's fun dynamic work environment yeah and um so during this she wrote short stories and many first chapters of novels that like didn't really go anywhere and part of that she says is that like she didn't really believe that like authors were real people like her Mm -hmm. like doing freelance work and stuff she was like these are people who've got like good money cushions and are like just chilling by the Oceanside yes. writing Hemingway like yeah whiskey shit yeah it down in Cuba and mm-hmm. um her like wake up call was when her younger sister Jacqueline wrote a novel feeling sorry for Celia and got that published and so she was like yeah. oh my gosh if my sister my little sister can do this I can do this and she I'm also, better than her. I was going to say she also <laughs> said in a fever of sibling rivalry oh, yeah. that's kind of what got her tea. going um, we can relate. And Maybe. she wrote a children's book called The Animal Olympics, but it was rejected by like all the publishing companies in Australia. That sounds cute. It does sound cute. Um, so then after that, she decides she's going to enroll and get her master's degree at Macquarie University in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And part of that degree, she wrote her first novel, Three Wishes, which I haven't read, but there's... So, like, I serve, and sometimes you stand at the host stand for a really long time before a table Mm -hmm. comes in. And if you don't have anything else to do, you just want to be ready to, like, greet a guest. And it's super 
like frowned upon to be on your phone. But if you have a book, you can just kind of put it away and it like doesn't look bad, mm-hmm. you know. So everyone yeah, people are like, ooh, an and educated waitress. I've literally had people come up to me and be like, it's so interesting that you're reading a book instead of on your phone. Like you seem people have literally people. told me. Yes. Ugh. Yes. They've like, you it's seem so interesting. bold of them to assume that we've literally never read a fucking book. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, but give me some credit. <laughs> give me some credit. Um, but one of the other servers I work with has a copy of Three Wishes that's oh, always cool. like floating around that stand. And maybe I'll get oh, to it. Oh, do you it. guys share books? Oh, if there's one there and I don't have my own book, I totally am just like, all right, where's where do I start? Wow, you could really start like an actual. We could do thing. a book club. Like you could <laughs> literally, you could have like bookmarks that have your own name on it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then eventually <laughs> when we all finish it, we're like, oh, so how's that? How's the host stand book of the week? It yeah, was, then you I guys will just good. talk the whole time. Um, <laughs> but so someone has three wishes and it's floating around up there. So I've been seeing it. And so she, Leanne wrote that as like a part of getting her master's degree. And it was accepted at the publishing company, company Pan Macmillan and went on to be published around the world. Very and that was cool. kind of her first. Do you know what it's about? Bada boom. I don't. That's fine. I don't, but she since then she's written eight more novels, um, one of them being Big Little Lies, which I'm currently reading. Um, what is that about? Oh, I'll get into it. Okay. Um, but I guess, yeah, it was picked up. Really what happened was I think it was Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. They must have read it, but they Ooh. snapped up the film and television rights when. Oh, are they producers? Yeah, I oh, think they cool. are. And I think Nicole Kidman is a big Leanne Moriarty fan because she's bought other rights. And she's Australian. Like film rights. Yes, oh. yes, yes, yes. Um, so I think she's just like a really big Leanne fan. Cool. Um, But pretty much, so Big Little Lies, like I guess the genre that a lot of her books are put in is domestic fiction. Ugh. And... um. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, never mind. <laughs> what are you women, say? women, lo- women. People love for to women. label women as domestic. Yeah, but I won't get into it. I always have yeah. something to say. That's all. <laughs> this I, is what I was talking about. Everyone thinks I'm being argumentative, but I'm just a literary literature major, so I have to analyze every single word that anyone ever says. Yeah, and the word domestic has a lot of. A lot of baggage. Yeah, it's his, like historically bad. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what a lot of her books are genre labeled as. And um, Big Little Lies, I guess what the dis- the description of the book is like, it's pretty much like a bunch of, it's from the perspective of a bunch of moms whose children all attend the same kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And mm. it's about how like, little lies can become big problems and like what happens when you know the when truth Cheryl isn't... fucks your baby daddy mm. is that in there no oh. not if it is I haven't gotten there yet I'm <laughs> oh. reading it on my kindle and I'm only like 45 percent of the way through yeah so less than Ooh. halfway but um I will say the things that stand out to me in this book, like I am blown away and I read a little bit about the series and I think the series does the same thing. I'm like blown away at how Leanne writes a couple that 
is like going through domestic abuse. Ooh. Like interesting. The woman she write like she writes from the perspective of the women mm-hmm. in the book and like this woman who's being physically abused and verbally abused. Um it's so crazy because I feel like in my life, like it's very easy to like, oh, you hear about someone being in an abusive relationship and you can be like, oh, just get out. Like it's not yeah. worth it. But like, and obviously there's like more to it because mm-hmm. of like financial dependence and like, you know, people in abusive relationships go through cycles of like honeymoon phases where it's like, oh, maybe it's finally over. And then it yeah, happens again. And then they're like, it'll never happen again. And it happens again. And, no, but really, this is the last time. And it happens again. I think on average, it takes seven times. Yes, of- trying to leave before mm-hmm. you actually are out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of cases, you that involves someone else helping. Yes. And yeah. And this book... Like, it shows it. And the the woman who's going through this, like, no one knows. She hasn't told anyone outside of their relationship. Even the counselors they've seen don't know. And all of her friends describe her as, like, kind of spacey. And, like, what if she's always, oh, like, thinking about yeah. something. But then when you go to the, not, the chapters that are in her perspective, she's thinking about trying to leave him. That's yeah. when she's, like, spaced out and, like, not paying attention. She's, like... This time, this is going to be the time. And well, yeah, and she doesn't have anyone to talk to about it. And she's like so afraid of leaving him because also at the same time, she's like, but I love him. Mm. But like, this is unacceptable. But I love him. Maybe if I didn't do this, he wouldn't hurt Mm. me. And like, you hear about people doing that and it's always like, come on, girl. But like, like, you know, because you're like, come on, just you don't deserve that. But it's so like, I've never felt so like I feel like I understand something that I have never gone through. That's very cool. And I think it's pretty incredible. And apparently, I mean, I've read that Leanne, I don't think she has been in a domestically abusive relationship, but she has, um, I guess, done a lot of research. Yeah. And I'm just like, I mean, I'd be interested to hear someone who's gone through it, their perspective, because I, like, I feel like, whoa, man, like I... This book is like taking me yeah. here and I feel so bad for this woman mm-hmm. and I totally get why she can't get out of it. So I'm like the part where I'm at, like spoiler alert a little bit. She's finally seeing a counselor that's like specifies mm-hmm. in domestic abuse. And I am so, so hoping that there's some kind of breakthrough, but we're only half less than halfway through the novel. So my guess is not yet. So, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So. That's Leanne Moriarty. Love Big Little Lies. Can't get enough of it. Gonna go read it after this. Um, <laughs> this other author, I don't know anything about her, but I see her books everywhere. And I guess hmm. she has also been described as a domestic fiction writer. Okay. And she's, she's a Virginia Wolf. No. <laughs> she's like a little bit. Of a contemporary, like, I think she's born the same year as Leanne. She is, 1966. Ooh. Um, but she was published earlier, and she's American, and she's written way more books cool. than Leanne Moriarty. Authors are crazy. This woman is so prolific. Okay. She's cool. writing all the freaking time. Insane. I think she's Ivy League. Who she's is Ivy she? Ivy League, too. Jodi Picoult. 
Oh, I love her. Yeah, I've never I read one of her, her books. Her books are amazing. I've read a lot of her books. She's actually one of my favorite authors. Oh my gosh. Her books are like, there's always a very cool twist. In yeah. It's, I love her books. And yeah, I like to read about World War II. And she writes a lot of World War II books, but they're always fiction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> that's Jody. Um, she was Yay, born, also her. born in 1966, same year as Leanne, um, but May 19th. She's an American writer. Currently, approximately 14 million copies of her books are mm. in print worldwide. Damn. And she's been translated into 34 languages. Here's some tea. Go to your local library. Don't buy a book. Just go to the library and rent it. Also, go to, I mean, there's not going to be a domestic fiction section. Probably. <laughs> It'll be in fiction. Yeah. Um, but just look for Picolt yes. and just look at the sheer the number yeah. of, vol- of like novels on the shelf. Because it will be so, 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 so many. Guaranteed. Yep. This woman, I remember like even in like our high school library, there being like mm-hmm. a fat That's where section. That's I started reading because there was a literally a table mm-hmm. Jody Picoult books. But literally the physicality of literature and the actual like environmental harm that books do is kind of surprising. Oh no. And Kindles are a nice thought, but you have to read about like 130 books on the Kindle to make it worth it. So that's oh, my the challenge to you. environmental yeah. impact that a Kindle costs. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when it comes to like, and then people say recycle your electronics. And <laughs> it's so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the environmental impacts of books and creating paper and then um, the paper plants impacting the poor people who live in those communities and mm-hmm. literally their brain development. And then they can't, they can't be as literary as people who read the books, it's just insane. I'm just going to say, go to the library. Go to the library. <laughs> I'm down with that. I'm 10 books into that 130 book challenge. You've okay. Me, so Well, yeah, it's, it's just scary when you say 14 million copies and it's just one author. Yeah. 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 That's fair. <laughs> so Jody Picoult was born in Nisconset, New York on Long Island and Ooh. has one younger brother. <laughs> Is she rich? Probably now. Well, she's a Long <laughs> <yeah>. Island. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't there like a <laughs> stereotype of people from Long Island? Like I watch Jersey Shore. Is that what it stuff. is? I thought Long Island was like Manhattan. Fuck. I think Long Island like. Wait, never mind. Long Island is like Michelle Visage, like Jersey City. Yeah. <laughs> I just know, I feel like in Jersey Shore, the Long Island uh, stereotype is that they're like all the wackadoodle party people. Yes. Yeah. You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Everyone is at least a little Italian. But that's not Jody, because Jody okay. <laughs> is freaking Ivy League educated. Where? So I'll show you. Okay. Um, so she's described her family as non-practicing Jewish, and she wrote her first story at the age of five entitled The Lobster, Which Misunderstood. Oh. I did not know the word misunderstood at the age of five. Yeah, that misunderstood. Four when syllables I was five, is considered a big word. I remember the big tragedy in my life was I was drawing a picture of a unicorn, oh. and I puked on it. 
No. In class. And Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, God, yes. Cece always cried. I cried. It's a sad song. I, I, I had emotional maturity yeah. at that young age. I, I was no like, I didn't even this know what is it was tragic. About. Oh, my God. I, I remember our band teacher like rolling her eyes at me because I was like she sad was listening to it. She was mean. And you know what? She broke her arm riding a moped. I'm just gonna Karma's <laughs> not a bitch unless you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, sorry, I don't mean to call my former teachers a bitch. I think she is dead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I don't. Unconfirmed. Unconfirmed. Either way. <laughs> Mr. Meisel, big shout out. Big shout He's out. He's obsessed with both of us. He's fun. I love him. I love him too. <laughs> um, Picolt's mother and grandmother were both teachers, and she says their influence on her was very important. Mm-hmm. The OG, though, is not going to be Jody Pickles' mom or grandma. Though. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't care about them. Sorry. <laughs> um, so she graduated from Smithtown High School East in June of 1983. She studied creative writing at Princeton University Ooh. and graduated in 1987. She published two short stories in Seventeen magazine while still in college. I Whoa, read the shit out I of Seventeen. That. Yeah. And immediately after graduation, she began a variety of jobs, ranging from editing textbooks to teaching eighth grade English. Cool. Yeah. Textbook she, editing is big for recent get- graduates. Dude, it seems, I mean, what kind of textbook here? Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I would be more inclined to do some over others. Like math textbook, miss me on that I shit. I mean, it wouldn't be accurate if we did that. It wouldn't, no. <laughs> but- it's just interesting, like, if you're, depending on the textbook, yeah, you're right. Like, history is written totally different than a science textbook. I would, like, Do history wise. over science anyway. Me too. It's Any day. Fun. And you learn so much. I know. I love history. Well, both. Both. <laughs> she earned a master's degree in education from Harvard University. Damn. Damn. And she also has two honorary Doctor of Letters degrees. Cool. One from Dartmouth College in 2010 and the other from the University of New Haven in Damn. 2012. She really is out here doing Ivy. Yes. So in... Should I go there? Yeah, I'll go there. Um. So yeah. So <laughs> do I do she, it to him? Do I do it to him? <laughs> um, so after she graduated and is like doing all that editing and teaching, um, she releases... Her first, or she publishes her first book in 1992, Songs of the Humpback Whale. <laughs> and it's about a woman who chooses to leave her emotionally abusive and distant husband behind oh. in favor of driving across the country from San Diego, California to live with her brother in Massachusetts. Cool. And I guess, like, I can see, I mean, immediately, you know, talking about like, this novel is from the perspective of a woman, mm-hmm. abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, and I that's not like all that Leanne writes about either, but definitely you can see like this like genre of domestic fiction and how it's like what I read was that a lot of it refers to like Jane Austen mm-hmm. era writing. Oh, yeah, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> we know you do. <laughs> oh no. Um um yeah yeah and how it's like women writing for women and like about women's issues but also it's a very privileged um genre where like yeah domestic fiction written by like literally big little lies this woman um this woman going through the domestic abuse is stupid rich yeah like which 
doesn't minimize the abuse, but it's like, it's like to have like domestic issues is almost just like a privilege because a lot of like, like yeah. a lot of these women in these stories, I, I guess like I'm, I'm totally like paraphrasing and probably missing some of this, but it's like to have like some of these domestic issues, like you have to have a house and you have to have. Yeah. And to worry about domestic issues is a privilege in some cases. That's just people's reality. They don't have the chance to worry about it because that's mm-hmm. all they have. Yes. This is their chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the person who's providing for your children. So you have to do it. Yeah. And that's just how it is. It's not even a question, mm-hmm. um, which is sad. But um, in the case of these white writers, that's fine by me. I don't think they should be speaking on behalf of um, a class that they might not be um, educated about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. These um, privileged writers is what I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Um, And she... Yeah, you can just kind of see, like, I mean, Jodi Picoult kind of writes about everything. There's always, like, a little bit of mystery and, mm-hmm. like you said, a little bit of a twist. Totally. Um, and she's very sensitive about her perspective as well. Okay. That's good. Because she, I mean, let me tell you, she's got a ton of books. She's pretty consistently publishing a book a year <sighs> since yeah. 92. That is such a like noble job she to missed sit down at a desk all day and write yes like she didn't publish i mean and maybe she published short stories but in this list of novels she missed 93 97 and that's it wow otherwise she's released like something kids? every year oh i don't think she did anything in 2017 that's 3 years in the past like 20 over 20 years that she's missed damn so yeah very very prolific um and right now she spends her time oh. in new hampshire she's married to timothy warren van leer who she met in college in 89 and she has three kids yeah jake kyle and samantha Ugh, mm-hmm. the most basic names <laughs> But their last name is Van Leer. Yeah, I feel cool. like that's a little out there. Um, so that's Jody. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to hear who the OG is. Yeah, so the OG um could have been Jane Austen, yes. but like we not. talked about because we already talked about her, and there is a different woman who I guess is a little bit more considered domestic. Because I guess I what I read a little bit about Jane was mm. that maybe a little bit more of her writing was focused on, like, the class aspect and, like... Yes, actually, yeah. She was... She kind of broke out of domestic. Yes. Yeah. And... It was about, like, a woman writer. Yes. And this author, Catherine Sedgwick. Oh, I was going to guess Emily Dickinson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's the OG. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know her. That's okay. I will talk a little bit about her. Um, So she was born in 1789 on December 28th. Damn. And she's an American novelist of what is sometimes referred to as domestic fiction. (laughs) And with her work much in demand from the 1820s to the 1850s, 
Sedgwick, Sedgwick made a good living writing short stories for a variety of periodicals. She became one of the most notable female novelists of her time. She wrote work in American settings and combined patriotism with protests against historic Puritan oppressiveness. Her topics contributed to the creation of a national literature, enhanced by her detailed descriptions of nature, and she created spirited heroines who did not conform to the stereotypical conduct of women at the time. Very cool. And a legend. Yes. Her early life and education, like con- the Sedgwick family, connected, powerful, insane. Oh, like, I affluent. love. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. But like, I think at I, least, and mm-hmm. I think they use it. They are, are like the definition of people who use their platform for good. Good. Well, I honestly, I have to assume that she had money. If she was a woman writer at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I I love what I like doing about this is like, okay, so Steve Irwin's parents mm-hmm. were in conservation. So like, mm-hmm. that's how he got into it. And like, I love seeing how people get into what they're doing because like, oh, could I like, you know, it's kind of fun to wonder like, oh, could I do that? Or like, maybe that's how you get into like, whatever. There's Our parents. No, I'm <laughs> going to be in IT and loans. <laughs> IT and loans. Yeah. IT or I could be a fourth grade teacher. I could be a nurse yeah. or a banker. Or a banker. <laughs> or in the mob. Or in the mob. <laughs> yes. T. But like, welcome. but with Catherine Sedgwick, like, I don't think there are people. I mean, there are probably are Illuminati-esque people, but she... Oh. <laughs> Who, who would have these connections and could have, Ooh. like, the same. But, like, literally, I, I'll get into it, But I'm, like, this like this is not someone, something someone could look at and be, like, this is at all attainable. You know, like, <laughs> this is something that, like, you have to be given. You have to be born. Into this family. So she, again, born December 28th in 1789 in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Her mother was Pamela Dwight of the New England Dwight family, which I can only assume is a wealthy one if they have a name like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And her mother was the daughter of General Joseph Dwight. Oh, General. And the granddaughter of Ephraim Williams, founder of Williams College. So already, Catherine Sedgwick's mother is connected. Her father was Theodore Sedgwick, a prosperous lawyer and successful politician, he was later elected Speaker of the United States House of Representatives in 1802 and was appointed a Justice of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. So who else would they marry, though? Like, besides other rich people. If you're a daughter of the New England Dwight family, Mm -hmm. of course you have to be lined up with this lawyer. Mm -hmm. Speaker of the House of Representatives. Isn't Speaker of the House like the third in line to the presidency? If anything happens to the president or the vice president, doesn't the speaker take over? I would like to know. Yeah. Fact check. Yes. The speaker's third. So this man was. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Here's what happens when we impeach Trump. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Just kidding. If (laughs) if he dies in the wilderness, um, the vice president, Mike Pence, which we that would be way worse, to be honest. Um, and then Nancy Pelosi. Cool. So, there's, honestly, your government is bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> so, but yeah, 
He was vice president, speaker of the house, um, president of the Senate, and then secretary of state. That's wild. So he is two. Damn. This is horrible. I'm gonna say it though. Two assassinations away from the presidency. <laughs> what? This is 1802. You guys, it's okay. It's been 200 years. We can joke about this. Well, let me see who was president. Thomas Jefferson. And oh my god, his vice president. Who was that? Um, Aaron Burr. Oh my god, Aaron Burr, sir. That's is that like, from Hamilton? Yeah, I never saw. That. Aaron Burr is the one who. Killed Alexander <gasps> Hamilton ooh, in a duel. Ooh, I knew and that. And then he ran away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, oh God, yeah, that's so funny. 1802. Um, so Cedric. Oh my God, yeah. Wait, yeah. Right here it says his vice president was Aaron Burr until 1805, and then George Clinton <laughs> because <laughs> apparently Aaron Burr ran away. Had <laughs> to take you. off. Um, okay, so Cedric's four brothers were educated for the law. Naturally following yeah. their father. Um, and But none of them entered politics the same way that her father had. Um, just lawyers. And... That's all. Yeah. Big respect to people who literally work or, like, actually work when they are rich. Like, if I had a trust fund, I wouldn't have a job. I would just chill all day long. <laughs> Like, maybe have a passion project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just not interested in, yeah. No. I guess it might be, maybe being an author and writing is her passion project and just became something. <laughs> yeah, oh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I would totally do that if I had so much money. I would just be a writer. I would do, Even I if would, no one would listen to me, I'd publish my own shit, you know? like I'd probably be like a cake decorator. Yum. Have an Instagram. <laughs> Perfect. I love that idea. <laughs> How do we get these trust funds? Hi. Um, Good. We need to marry up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so as a child, Sedgwick was cared for by Elizabeth Freeman, a former slave whose freedom Theodore Sedgwick, her father, hmm. helped gain by arguing her case in county court in 1781. So lawyer. So he good represented this woman not... So Cedric was cared for by Elizabeth Freeman after she was freed. Mm -hmm. So her father decided to represent Freeman, won her free won her, her freedom. And this was um, before the abolishment of slavery. Oh yeah, this is 1781. And um mm -hmm. yeah, we were only a country for like five years yeah. at this point. And so like she's been freed and her previous um owner offered her a job and instead she said i want to work for the sedgwicks nice. so she raised helped raise um catherine for money yes yeah. for money not <laughs> in slavery for money and in her autobiography sedgwick refers to elizabeth freeman multiple times and reflects upon the influence that this woman had on sedgwick's perception of the world the integrity and pride that freeman possessed regarding her own personal intelligence and understanding mm -hmm. of the world can be reflected in Sedgwick's admiration of the woman. Mm -hmm. So overall, I'm like, go Theodore Sedgwick using his platform for good. I'm down with that. When Sedgwick was seven or eight, she passed the summer under the care of her cousins in Vermont. Um, she attended district schools, boarding schools. Literally, there's like Mrs. Bell's boarding school in Albany, New York. 
Mr. Yep. Payne's cool. boarding school. I always in wanted to go to boarding school. Yeah. Like, it kind of sounds because like because of Zoe 101. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of sounds like a total pain in the ass. Really? Yeah. It'd be so fun. Like, you have so much freedom. Yeah. So, <laughs> after she is done with her schooling, she took charge of a school in Lenox. So, I guess that means she's like running it. Like, head mistress, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Um, she converted from Calvinism to Unitarianism. Are those religions? Yes. Oh. Which led her to write a pamphlet denouncing religious intolerance. So I'm like, well, wait a Common go. sense. <laughs> common kidding. sense. I mean, Pain. this is like kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, this stuff seems very progressive to me. Like we yeah. haven't even reached like the 19th century. So it's like. Yes, we have. In this? You mean the 20th century? Wait, what it's, year was it? Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It's okay. I'm like, I always did I get do confused. I, I, I get confused too. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, this seems like really progressive to mm-hmm. me, like the Sedgwick family. And she, so yeah, so after she wrote her pamphlet on religious intolerance, she wrote her They first can be novel. progressive because they're rich. Yes. Yeah. Because they don't have to deal with, with real life. Worldly problems. <laughs> worldly problems. <laughs> Um, so after this pamphlet, she writes her first novel, A New England Tale, cool. which kind of delves into like religion and how she's been feeling about that. And she writes a book called Redwood. I don't know what year that is. But then she's writing. And I guess she was considered, she was very popular. Um, yeah, very popular. But where is this information? By the end of the 19th century, she had been relegated to near obscurity because there was a rise of male critics who mm. pretty much just like shat on all the women writing mm. of the previous century. Writing is like art and like anything where it's labeled after they were popular, like even after death. Like we didn't call the... We didn't call the um artists neoclassism like while they were painting. Mm-hmm. It was post humorously labeled that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, it's kind of like how we know Jodi Picoult right now. Maybe she's going to be the Jane Austen of 2180. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, I guess you never know. I don't know. But yeah, but this, I don't know who this person is. So, <laughs> yeah, she sadly, um, yeah, ended in obscurity, I guess. And then when people actually go back and like look at the people who were a part of like domestic fiction, you know, she's remembered and written about, and people, people like consider her a feminist author. And oh yeah. yeah, here it says beginning in the 1960s, feminist scholars began to reevaluate women's contributions to literature and other arts and created new frames of reference for considering their work. So I think that's awesome. kind of what brought Catherine Sedgwick back into public thought and mm-hmm. like the literary scene of being studied and stuff. That's such a m- male thing to do. <laughs> Forget about all these weak w- about women. <laughs> like the people who published Sylvia Plath's um, book after she died, like edited it so much like the men who did it and then they published her diaries and all this shit 
Like, not that Sylvia Plath is the best person, but mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Men just love to be in control. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so that's kind of it. The OG is Catherine Sedgwick. Leanne Moriarty to Jodie Picoult. Bunch of cool women authors. I'm about to go hit Big Little Lies. I want to get to 60% today. Ooh. Ooh. Um, I have a lot of ideas now about people I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Serial killers, authors, royals. But if you have any suggestions, please put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, tell us what you guys want to hear because we'll do them. Or on the Zima Podcasting Network Instagram. Yes. Just comment on, literally just comment on any of our socials. Yeah. And we'll respond and we'll do things. But we'll do it. If you, I mean, obviously like make whatever requests you want, but like I think the next episode should be spooky. I know. And And that could be horror writers. (laughs) That could be horror filmmakers. That could be murderers. I'm doing murderers. But if you have a favorite murderer. (laughs) Um... My friend Noah um, actually asked for someone and I completely ignored his request. So sorry about it. Oh, no. <laughs> but shout out, Noah. I know you're listening to this. And he told me he only listens because he's bored at work. So <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I love it, though. We'll get it next time, Noah. We promise. Mm, I'm not going to talk about Akon. <laughs> oh, you want to? Akon. Someday. But I'm not going to say when. No, we should talk about Akon. Doesn't he do that <laughs> lighting thing? Like lighting mm-hmm. Africa? I almost he... talked about him today because I think that's considered like like good, good person. Like maybe conservation or something. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean. It's not conservation. No. But it's. It's like. <laughs> it's like. in It's it's like the opposite. It's like industrialization yeah. where it's like. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not. But it's necessary for obviously, progress. Yeah. But like, obviously, you need to balance conversation and industrialization. I was like, I really can't talk about Steve Irwin and then Akon. There's no <laughs> connection here. <laughs> next week, or if next week is only spooky, next next week. But just someone else recommend something. <laughs> For reals, I'm going to talk about serial killers. Cool. Can't wait. Can't wait. Well, again, thanks for listening. Feel free to give us a review. Oh, yeah. Please give us a review review. on Apple Podcasts because that is how we get new listeners. And that's how we climb up in the charts. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate you guys. And thank you so totally. much for listening to us. We, yeah, it's now 9.53 a.m. <laughs> yeah, we've been going for a hot minute. Um, This has been OG Influencers. I'm Haley. I'm Cece. And we're signing off. USA. <laughs> and Australia. And all eight alien species on Earth. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.